The following program is brought to you by TasteBud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwen. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Another delicious Sunday to you. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. This is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration. And we hope you'll join us every Sunday for insightful commentary on everything delicious. This is your culinary playground. And if you love to cook or love to eat, then I like to say we can definitely be friends. Stay tuned because we have a full plate this morning coming up. Sommelier for the people, Michael Jordan of the Ranch Restaurant. He's sharing the beauty of rosé, quintessential summer wine. And we're going to continue to fill your glasses as well in the next two hours. The brewmaster creating artisan beers for taps and the catch. Victor Novak has the best beers for summer. Also, Chef Alan Wong, live from Hawaii on salt blocks and poke and everything about beautiful island cuisine. We're also sharing the virtues of Heilala Vanilla. This is a new vanilla on the market that's just beautifully fragrant and fabulous. And if you don't have vanilla paste in your pantry, well, then you're missing out. Chef Amar Santana and Bobby Navarro are going to share pork recipes before the pig out. So if you're a pig lover, then that conversation is for you. And you'll learn to preserve, can, and make the best summer jam. So do stay tuned. We're always serving up seconds at ChefJamie.com, where you'll find thousands of recipes, cocktail inspiration, techniques, and more. And I hope you'll friend me on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find me under Chef Jamie Gwen. Okay. Okay, here we go. If you are a chili head, then this contest is for you. Is your chili blue ribbon worthy? Well, whether you like your chili meaty or full of veggies or white and creamy or hot and spicy, we'd love to see your delicious recipe. Now, Lana and I are chili lovers, chili with an I and chili with an E, right? It doesn't matter. But the chili with an I has to be chock full of fabulous flavor as far as I'm concerned. So Not too chock full. Well, like a fork or a spoon, what do you think? Good morning, Lana. Good morning. <laughs> fork or a spoon in that chili. Like I like it to stand up in the middle of the bowl. Oh, very chock full. Then. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Emeril taught us long ago, uh, years past when he was here for his Emeril sitcom, we used to eat chili out of a bag of Fritos. You buy those individual snack bags, oh. you open them up, and he used to ladle That's the chili. The best. Oh, so good. Right over the corn chips, right? Mm. How do you serve your chili? And how do you make it? We're hoping that you'll enter your best chili recipe in what we're calling our Champion Chili Recipe Contest. You could win a shopping spree for $100 to shop at Bristol Farms, the extraordinary food store. Now, it doesn't matter whether your chili is better suited for spring or summer, winter or fall. All it has to include is some sort of chile as in C-H-I-L-E, could be a jalapeno, a habanero, even an Anaheim, or better yet, 
a hatch chili. That's right. It could be New Mexico's prized hatch chili. We'd love to hear all about it. The truth is, no matter the season, chili is always comforting. It's tasty. It's full of savory goodness. So you can enter your favorite chili recipe today by emailing us at live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com, and you'll have a chance to be a chili champion. Now, we're going to announce the Blue Ribbon Chili Champion winner and hand them $100 to shop at my favorite store, Bristol Farms, at our live Hatch Chili Roasting Party, where we are going to be broadcasting live on Sunday, August 19th from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach. Melissa's Produce is kicking off Hatch Chili season. It's one of the hottest seasons in years, by the way, and roasting Hatch Chili's live at Bristol Farms stores. And our live broadcast is kicking off on Sunday, August 19th. Now, by the way, your chili can be chock full of chilies, Mm -hmm. but it could be completely vegetarian. Beef, chicken, vegetarian, or surprise us. Exactly. There's a tofu chili out there. I know there is. Oh, you did a chili contest once and wasn't, didn't someone have duck? Yeah. Oh, oh, it was so delicious with dried cranberries and it had a almost like a mole profile to it. A little bit of dark chocolate in the finish. Ooh. If you're looking for chili inspiration, by the way, check out chefjamie.com. It'll link you directly through to live at chefjamie.com where you're going to send us your winning chili recipe that incorporates chilies. And then you're going to join us once again on Sunday, August 19th at Bristol Farms, Manhattan Beach. Breakfast will be served. Fun food and chilies mm. galore. It will be delicious. And, of course, Melissa's Mm. is going to be roasting Hatch Chilies. And Mm -hmm. you can look for Hatch Chili dates and times for the roasting schedule itself at Bristol Farm stores across Southern California at the Bristol website, bristolfarms.com. Don't forget, submit your best chili recipe to be a chili champion. $100 to shop at Bristol Farms is yours just for emailing your award-winning chili recipe to live at chefjamie.com. And send them as soon as possible because we're going to be testing each of the recipes. I know, and I was thinking... That's chili for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Nothing Delicious. like tasting 10 and chilies in a day. If you happen to have a photo, don't forget to send it along. Oh, love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to see your chili, too. Mm. Oh, this is going to be truly delicious. If I could submit, I'd be submitting my chicken chili. If you could win, you'd be winning with your chicken chili, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't believe you're eligible. Mm, not allowed. Sorry, mm. Charlie. No. Yeah, okay. But you are eligible to share your best crab cake recipe, oh, which ta- I hope you will. Oh, there we go. Oh, to taste chili, were you going to say? I'm, yes. I'm... Oh, yeah, you're going to be the official taster. Oh, Get your spoon you. ready. <laughs> all right. This morning's technique where you can learn to be a better cook is all about crab cakes. There is a technique feature at chefjamie.com, and we thank you, Sandy I, for sending a note with your request to talk about the ultimate crab cake. So on the website, you will find how to make the ultimate crab cakes as the technique of the week. Now, crab cakes are the iconic seafood starter, right? That succulent mixture Mm -hmm. of rich crab and hopefully very little else. I believe that minimalism is the watchword of crab cakes. And Maryland lovers agree. I like jumbo lump crab, Lana. A little bit of toasted breadcrumbs. I know Mm -hmm. we're on the same page here, right? A little bit of mayonnaise, mustard, egg, Old Bay, lemon chives, and a dash of hot sauce. 
or maybe a pinch of cayenne for mm. that tickle of heat. I know. That sounds perfect. Except when I'm in a rush, yes. I'll take the little pieces of crab uh-huh. and throw them in the Cuisinart along with everybody to get my base together. Yeah. And then fold in the, the large pieces of lump crab. That's like crab times two. Yes. But so that just sort of brings the mixture together. And then you, the less that you put in it, the better. Well, I definitely agree that the filler is the demise of the crab cake. The crab is all jumbo lump crab. It should be rich and hearty, but the cakes will hold together thanks to a nice crisp exterior. So here are our tips, Sandy Eye, for the ultimate crab cake. You want to keep your fillers to a minimum. Volume is the first word that comes to mind. I like crab cakes that deliver the sweet taste of crab. They're hard to beat. And we share a crab cake memory. Chef Tom O'Connor, formerly mm-hmm. of front runner at the Santa Anita Racetrack, made a true Chesapeake crab cake, and he got a lot of recognition for it. Chef Tom combined, because we were able to mm. steal the recipe. I know, it, it is a very delicious memory. It was larger than a baseball. It was. It was like a big, huge, honking, toughy puck. baseball. And he combined a pound of Maryland blue crab with whipped cream, mayo, Dijon, chives, Red bell pepper, Old Bay, and he browned them in a pan, and then he finished them in the oven, and they did. They puffed like a baseball, mm-hmm. and then this fist-sized cake was topped with a creamy remoulade sauce and served with a ginger slaw mm. and black-eyed pea salad. Oh, they were divine. Which is an incredible combination. Mm-hmm. You have a choice in crumbs, by the way. Could be breadcrumbs, crushed saltines, panko crumbs. I've seen Ritz crackers, too. I suggest fresh white breadcrumbs. I like that as well. Mm-hmm. And some chefs use beaten egg whites to lighten the cakes, which I like, but whether you're using beaten egg whites or whipped cream or nothing at all, there are a couple of tips, no matter what your ingredients are, to make the ultimate crab cake. Do not overmix. The same rule applies to your hamburger patty. Mm -hmm. Do not pack your cakes too tight. And be sure to refrigerate for at least a half hour before cooking, which will allow everything Even to bind. An hour, I you know, or longer works. Yes. Do you use white? Uh, excuse me, yellow mustard or Dijon mustard? Dijon all the way. And if you wanted a more oh. p- prominent sort of mustard flavor, you could use stone ground. What's your mustard of choice? Usually Dijon. Yes, but a lot of people do say use yellow. Yeah, very Mm. traditional, true. Mm -hmm. Now, you can make fish cakes of any kind, really, shrimp or scallop or a mixture. You could use our favorite Bar Harbor products. They make chopped clams and even lobster in a can that is fresh from the docks of Maine, and it makes delicious cakes as well. Uh, Just make sure, again, to mix gently. Now, my friend Andrew Zimmern, everybody loves him because he'll eat everything, right? He has a great cake recipe, and he says that putting a lot of junk into a crab cake is one of the biggest transgressions in American cookery. But he has some great tips, and I love this, Lana. He makes double batches of his signature crab cake, and he keeps the leftovers in the fridge. Oh, that's perfect. And he says Mm. that if you haven't eaten a cooked and then chilled crab cake on toast with Russian dressing and a slice of tomato, (gasps) you are missing out. That is right up your alley. But my best tip... That's brunch. Oh, that sounds really good, (laughs) right when we leave the studio. My best tip, though, is that the next time you make crab cakes, make what I call a master batch. And instead of just eight, make 24 mini donut hole-sized crab cakes and store them in your freezer. Then take them out, cook them up, and serve them to your friends. That is crab cake heaven. Mm. And if you don't have time to refrigerate for an hour, throw them in the freezer for a short time. Great idea. Just to... 
get them together. Quick chill. Mm -hmm. I see crab cakes in my future. Mm. Dinner tonight. Mm. All right, I've successfully made myself hungry, and hopefully you, when we come back, the delicious conversation continues. Keeping you updated on the food scene, we're taking a deep exploration into everything delicious. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. You have very good taste to have tuned in to the most delicious conversation here in Southern California and heard around the world on iTunes. Look for Food & Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Do you love canning, freezing, preserving? Well, we're going to relish it. All from Pat Crocker's comprehensive guide to home canning, time-honored traditions and skills that are truly being rediscovered by a new generation of Americans. The Canning and Freezing Guide for All Seasons is a beautiful manual, a Bible really, called Preserving, and Pat joins us live. We're glad to have you. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. So we're deep in the heart of summer here, Pat, and the berries are bountiful. So let's start there. While we love jam and we'll get to the sweet stuff, I love the idea of preserving fruit in vinegar. Oh, it's so great, isn't it? When you talk about a time-honored way of preserving, making vinegar is one of the oldest ways of preserving foods because they're fine on their own. A vinegar is actually a preserver, and so making fruit vinegars is so much fun. So you start, and it's just a few ingredients, very simply with ripe, fresh berries and raspberries you, yeah. specifically in your recipe. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a couple of days, but it's, it's one or two steps. So it's, a, it's an incredibly easy process. And yet, the raspberry vinegar that you get out of it is so much fun. So you start with six cups of, and you could use frozen raspberries, but I know right now we've got fresh, beautiful, plump berries. So we'll use, we'll start with uh, six cups of fresh raspberries, one and three quarters cups of red or white wine vinegar. I don't like to use the window washing white vinegar, the 5% acetic vinegar. I prefer a real vinegar with the mother sloshing around in the bottom of the jar. I like to use red uh, wine vinegar for my raspberry vinegar Mm -hmm. and a small amount, two and a half cups of granulated sugar. And you simply um, combine the raspberries with a half of the vinegar. You cover and let them stand at room temperature for a couple of days. And then you take a potato masher and mash the raspberries to a pulp. Uh, You can strain the pulp through a coarse sieve set over a large non-reactive bowl. or, Or I like to use a crock. And if you're looking at my book right now, you can see that the photograph uh, shows that I'm making it in my large five-quart crock. And then you add the remaining raspberries and vinegar to the strained juice. You cover them, let it stand for another couple of days, strain it again, mash it, and then you can put the resulting vinegar into three one-cup jars, or you can uh, uh, use smaller or larger jars to pot up the vinegar. And it's absolutely delicious. I love the idea of making a vinaigrette from a homemade vinegar and doing it with just about any berry. You could make your own blackberry vinegar. I would use champagne vinegar in the process there. I think that would be a beautiful compliment. And I like the idea, too, of using the vinegar 
in marinades, and you mention it in stir fries. You can use it to reduce down when you're cooking southern greens, and the color is so vibrant. There's something beautiful about giving the gift of a homemade summer fruit vinegar, too. And there are lots of other ways to do it. You could do it with blueberries or blackberries, as we mentioned as well, right? Even strawberries. The blueberries are lush here right now, too, Pat. Yeah, and, and I mean, when you've got these jars lined up, you could make them with kiwi. So you've got, you know, green and red and the blue from the blueberries all lined up in, in clear glass jars, and they look so stunning in a kitchen. They're absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And as you say, for gifts, but they make a wonderful vinaigrette for a sweet salad so that if you were, or even if you were combining uh, the gorgeous fruits of summer into, you know, a mixed vegetable and fruit salad, a raspberry vinegar or, or a fruit vinegar um, complements those flavors so well. Mm, how nice. I just received a bottle of maple vinegar. In fact, it was from Canada. Mm. And it's very oh, delicious. Lovely. It's lovely in a vinaigrette. Oh, it's- Perfect. Fabulous flavor. And speaking to a Canadian, by the way, if you've just tuned in, we are speaking with a Canadian who certainly knows how to put it up. We're preserving and relishing fabulous flavor with Pat Crocker. The book is called Preserving. Let's talk about jams and preserves, Pat. Let's say we have a bounty of blueberries or conserve. What is the best way to take the beauty? I love your blueberry and lemon combination and make something that we can yeah, really relish for some time past the season. I don't really know anybody that doesn't like blueberries. <laughs> so much. They're so easy um, to work with and um, they're so so fabulous. I'm just actually uh, looking for that recipe and it's it's a I found it on page 114 and you say that it's orange slices that oh, with the right. rind add pectin. Yeah, and if you know, if you if you just glance at that page, I've taken a shot of the blueberries and the oranges in the pan. So you've got complementary colors popping off that page so that when when you're actually making this, it's a visual for your eyes as well as it will be a, a wonderful, you know, sense of flavor when you actually come to taste it. I'm using uh, for the juice, uh, for the conserve, I'm using apple juice, but of course you could use any fresh fruit juice. And I'm using a couple tablespoons of squeezed lemon juice. And to that, I'm adding a couple of shredded apples. The reason I include apples in my blueberry conserve, you don't actually taste the apples, but they're adding that extra pectin. So this conserve sets up very nicely with those apples shredded into it. And I'm using an orange, and I do actually thinly slice that orange so you get that gorgeous citrus flavor Mm -hmm. imbuing the blueberries. Six cups of blueberries and a cup of golden raisins. I love so, the idea of the rind from the orange. So you sort of get candied orange rind, blueberry conserve all together. Absolutely. Really absolutely. Nice. Lovely. Yeah. And, and really, you're just bringing the fruit, all of the ingredients, to a boil and reducing it gently for about seven minutes. It doesn't really take a long time for this to set up. Um, you can increase it to high, boil it hard for about 15 to 20 minutes, and it's done, ready to skim and fill the jars. It's uh, it, and it is a beautiful conserve. Yeah, I've used simple. it with uh, duck, with mm. um, some game, uh, often 
you know, I'll get gifts of, of, um, of venison. And uh, this is a particularly nice concert because of the citrus in there. It actually helps to cut the, uh, the fatty meats. I so love it's, the it's combination wonderful- of combining the fruits, Pat. That really does yeah. add a, a depth of flavor. We have just a minute or so left here. If you could give us a quick lesson on pickles, because what oh. better to do when you have the best of, you know, an abundance of zucchini during the summer from your own garden? You can make bread and butter pickles from zucchini, which is a, a, a beautifully seasoned and sugared. I use uh, both brown sugar and granulated white sugar for my bread and butter pickles. Mm. But you can also make dill pickles from from zucchini as well. So you can do uh, the classic dill spears. I have an Asian lime pickle recipe, which is a freezer pickle recipe. And it's not, uh, it's a great recipe. Uh, It's so easy to do. And I've had a lot of people say to me, you know, oh, I love canning, but I also like to freeze uh, do freezer jam and and uh, as far as I know, I, I've never seen um, a pick a freezer pickle recipe, and uh, this is a pretty good one. It uh, I have to say the pickles do soften slightly, but they're still pretty crunchy how, when they come long, out of the freezer. How long do you freeze them for? Once you've made up the recipe, you can freeze them for up to oh, I would say two to three months in the freezer. They keep just the same as as most salsa recipes or or things like that. May we share the recipe on the website? Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Thank you. You'll find Pat Crocker's recipe from Preserving for Asian Lime Pickles at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F. J-A-M-I-E dot com, where we're always serving up seconds, along with a link to her home-preserving Bible. Once again, a wonderful time in the peak of the summer months right now to take advantage of your own garden or your local farmer's market to really enjoy that gorgeous seasonal produce all year long. Relish it. And we thank you for sharing your passion, Pat, and for relishing all of the best of summer with us. The delicious conversation continues right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. All right, power up your taste buds because there is a nationwide search going on for the next great potato chip. Next year in 2013, Lay's is going to celebrate its 75-year anniversary. And in social media marketing lingo, they call it crowdsourcing. I love this concept. Go onto Facebook right now because Lay's is letting you create and pick the next big thing. It's all about the next hot flavor in potato chip. Maybe it's a spicy sweet blend or a twist on tangy and tart. Well, the marketing director for the Lay's brand, Jen Signs, is here, and she's going to share with you how you can create the next big potato chip and win a million dollars. Not so bad. Good morning, Jen. Good morning, Seth. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. We're glad to have you here and in the radio. I'm so glad to be here. Okay, tell us about, first and foremost, the most popular potato chips today in Lay's 75 years, really what sells the best? So always our original Lay's classic uh, yellow bag is our best seller, but that's closely followed by some of our other flavors like barbecue and sour cream and onion, our salt and vinegar flavor. There's actually 24 different flavors of Lay's potato chips out there for consumers to try. 
I happen to love the big, bold flavors. You mentioned barbecue. I yes. think that they're delicious on a sandwich. As a child, I used to pile potato chips on a sandwich, and I still do today. Lana and I were just traveling and ran across a hamburger at Holstein's in Las Vegas, in fact, that piles potato chips on their burger, which I yes. think is the perfect textural crunch. And then salt and vinegar I love because I have a very tart palate, so I love that vinegary flavor. Do you have a favorite? Salt and vinegar is actually one of my favorites. If you love that vinegary flavor, the other one I might suggest would be dill pickle, and especially at this time of the year, it's just a really fun and delicious flavor to try. It sounds like a picnic potato chip. I haven't tasted the dill pickle, so I'll have to uh, put my taste buds on that. Tell it us really how you're like a dill pickle. Yeah, it does taste like a dill pickle. Tell us how you're turning over flavor making to the fans. Absolutely. The Do Us a Flavor contest invites anyone and everyone to submit their idea for what that next great potato chip flavor might be. And it's super easy. You go to Facebook.com slash Lay's. Tell us the name of the flavor that you're suggesting, up to three ingredients that could be used uh, to let us know what that flavor might taste like, and a little bit of a backstory to understand what was the inspiration behind your flavor suggestion. You just need to give us the inspiration. Our chefs and culinary experts will actually craft the recipe that we'll put on the potato chip and bring it to life. That's pretty amazing. I love the idea of just coming up with the flavor profile and then knowing that your test kitchen, which I can only imagine is uh, full of those with very perfect palates, can create the chip itself. Tell us about how it works. What is your R&D, your research and development like with Lay's? We have a really neat concept that we call the flavor kitchen, where we'll select sort of a gold standard of what we're trying to target from a flavor profile and use that to design and customize the seasoning and the flavor of the chip. And we work at it and over and over and over again until we get it just right and perfect. And, of course, we do a lot of rigorous testing with consumers along the way to make sure that we're getting that formulation perfect. Pretty cool. You have a couple of big names on this campaign. In fact, one of our favorites, Chef Michael Simon, That's is right. creating what he calls, what, a flavorizer if consumers are, you know, just tapped out of ideas, we're encouraging them to submit as many flavors as they like. But if they're looking for a little bit of inspiration, what they can do is actually click a button within our app, and Michael Simon will be invited into their profile to take a look maybe at some pictures or check-ins that they've had recently and suggest some flavor territories and flavor camps that are uniquely them. So it's a really fun way to take a look at inspiration and how flavor can be seen within your profile and also uh, allow Michael Simon to get to know you a little bit better. I love the idea of flavor inspiration. I love too, Jen, that you've actually done this Do Us a Flavor contest in other parts of the world, and you've gotten some really creative flavor combinations suggested by fans in different countries. So span the, the continents for us, if you would, and give us the best ideas from around the world thus far. Absolutely. We have run the Do Us a Flavor uh, contest in dozens of countries. You know, there's countries in Europe and Asia and Africa and South America. And we've really got a great variety from consumers. Over 8 million different ideas for chip flavors have been entered across wow. that uh, wide variety. So um, in South Africa, we got a really fun uh, walkie-talkie chicken crisp that was suggested. And in Serbia, it was a pickled cucumber flavor. In the U.K., a couple of the flavors that get people really excited was one called Cajun Squirrel, which is, you know, just very unique and different when you think about that as a flavor suggestion. There's no squirrel in it, is there? 
no squirrels were used or harmed in the process of making that flavor. <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. All right, where else can you take us? There's really amazing ideas, truly. Yes. I, I love the idea of the pickled cucumber in Serbia, in fact. So if that was your taste bud inspiration, you're going to have to think again. So will you be picking a different ship in every country? The way that it works is there has been a different winner in each of the countries. What's been really nice is you get a chance to reflect what that consumer base is yearning for in terms of flavor. And we found that there is a, a really strong preference from a taste standpoint for what the regional cuisine inspires. Some flavors that sound delicious to some folks might not sound as delicious in other parts of the world just based on cultures and backgrounds. So really customizing the flavor ideas for your country is really a winning idea for the contest. I heard about Caesar salad, too. Yeah. Oh, and there's a late-night kebab. Late-night kebab, and we had a, <laughs> those, were, those were two flavors that were actually in Australia. They were two finalist flavors um, from Australia, and the winning uh, flavor was the Caesar salad flavor that you mentioned. That's pretty fun. Tell us about the details. You're actually going to launch the new potato chip in Times Square next year? Yes, so we're in Times Square today launching the contest with a pop-up store where consumers can come and they can actually taste around 20 different flavors of Lay's and see some of the winning flavors globally and really experience the Lay's brand and find some inspiration. And uh, once we get all of the entries this year, the contest is open until October 6th, so you can submit your entries up until that time. We'll choose three finalist flavors and put them into the marketplace in February of 2013. Pretty fabulous. All right, so if we trust our taste buds and we're passionate potato chip lovers, give the information again how we can create our own flavor and a chance to win, by the way, again, a million dollars. Or more. Or more. You would just go to facebook.com slash Lay's. Tell us the name of your flavor, up to three ingredients that you think would give us a sense for what your flavor would taste like, as well as a little bit of a backstory so we know what inspired you and why you think this would make the next great potato chip flavor for Lay's. Pretty cool. And on the Facebook page, Lana, I know that it's the first time that they're actually going to change the like button to read I'd eat that on the Lay's page. Consumers are are given an opportunity to go head-to-head against other flavors with a bit of a flavor showdown. And uh, and the button that they would push to choose their flavor says, I'd eat that on there. Got to love when Facebook's bending the rules for you, Jen. That's exactly right. That's pretty great. really appreciate their partnership. (laughs) Here's an amazing statistic. Lay's Potato Chips is one of the billion-dollar brands that makes up Frito-Lay North America. It's a $13 billion food business and a unit of PepsiCo, of course, and we are Lay's lovers. So good luck to you. Trust your palate. As Jen Sines says of Lay's, go to their Facebook page and submit your best flavor profile. You could be the winner. My mind is racing, Lana, with great ideas. All right, we're going to the page now, Jen, and we look forward to having you back on. If you will uh, share with us uh, next year, what is the new flavor and all about how it came to be. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to seeing your flavor submission. Well, thank you. Definitely so. All right, crunch away. It is a potato chip nation, and you could be the next great designer. The delicious conversation continues right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, grab a snack. I think it should be a Lay's. Don't go away. We're celebrating food and its ability to feed the soul. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio as the delicious conversation continues, serving up seconds 
at chefjamie.com. All right, you've heard it all before. Somebody says, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, right? But how about an entire pig? It's one delicious thing to enjoy some savory bacon at breakfast or a good pork chop at dinner. But a pig out? I'm in. <laughs> Lana, you coming too? Of course, I'll I can't be there. wait. So there's this crazy great event that's just about to happen a week from today, in fact, and it's called The Pig Out and brought to you by 100 Eats 100 Days blogger Bobby Navarro and chef Amar Santana of Broadway Restaurant in Laguna Beach, California. They're paving the way of culture and class with an inaugural pig centric social. And you're invited. The best chefs of Orange County, California, coming together to celebrate the blessings of the swine. Bobby Navarro and Chef Amar Santana join us live this morning. Glad to have you. Good morning, Chef. Good morning, Jamie. How are you? I'm very well. And you? Fantastic. And good morning to you, Bobby. Good morning. All right. We'll get to the pig out and this conversation of the swine. Um, but if you would, Amar, you make some of the best pork belly I've ever had, and everybody knows it and loves it. And we thought that we would kick off this conversation if you would talk about some of the cuts or parts of the pig, or you know, some of your favorite pork cuts to cook. Well, it, it depends. In the restaurant, I, I love pork belly. You know, it's one of those pieces of meat that I enjoy cooking. But usually, when I'm at home, I like to do like braised pork. Um, I like to take a nice fatty um, piece of like pork shoulder and just like braise it. You know, some spices and things like that. When you talk about braising, we know, and we talk about that very often here on the show, you need a good quantity of liquid to keep usually less expensive cuts more moist. They cook for a longer period of time with the combination of the moisture from the liquid infusing, but also from the steam that's created in a closed pot. So what is your liquid or braising liquid of choice for pork? Well, I like enjoying a lot of spicy food, so I usually do a lot of red wine. Um, when I'm at home, I mean, I don't have the privilege of having, like, some sort of, like, pork stock or broth or anything like that. So uh, I admit it. I used, you know, canned chicken broth. And then I used to be, like to put some uh, canned chipotle peppers to get a smoky, you know, deep flavor. Mm, uh, nice. And spices of choice? Because we do know you like it hot. And I love that you use canned chicken broth at home, Amar, because the truth is that makes you a real cook like the rest of us with of the course. beauty of a, of a restaurant that creates extraordinary cuisine. Of course. I, yeah. mean, the spi- I mean, I like a bunch of spices. I, when, I, when I do it like that, I put a lot of chili flakes in, of course, the, mm-hmm. um, the chipotle pepper, so I get a lot of heat from that. But I use spices like cumin, um, coriander, uh, fennel. I kind of toast all the spices together, grind it up, and then put it in there. Um, that gives it a nice, nice flavor. Nice. I love those aromatics. The idea of, uh, you know, uh, anise or the fennel seed or the cumin just bringing that pork flavor, which I find very umami, has yeah, that really that richness. Yeah, it really does. What are some of the more unique cuts of pork that you're seeing when you're out and about eating? Well, right now, the thing that I've seen a lot in a lot of restaurants is uh, pig's ears. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I had in a few places, you know, some of them are better than the others, but I see a lot of restaurants now using pig's ears. I mean, I'm using it as a garnish in the restaurant, too, so I'm, you know, I'm going on the bandwagon, too. So <laughs> Jumping great. on the, va- the pig ear bandwagon. How do yeah. you um, cook them, fry them, crisp them? Yeah, the way, the way I'm doing it right now, it kind of comes like, you know, like if you're frying chicken, I mean, a uh, pig skin kind of thing so we we brace it first we uh we cook it then we cool it down we kind of press it down and then we slice the paper thin and the first time i did it like that i threw them in the fryer it was chewy so i wasn't happy with it so i took that 
sliced, cooked pig's ears and uh, dehydrated. I put it in the oven overnight to pull all the moisture out, and then I fried it at super high temperature, mm-hmm. and it became like a crackling. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. super tasty. I mean, you could dip that into like avocado or something, and it's like the oh. best tortilla ever. Oh, that sounds like a cocktail snack right up my alley. <laughs> oh, absolutely delicious. Well, we're definitely pig lovers, Lana and I, and we have uh, pig stories all the way from your restaurant, Broadway by Amar Santana in Laguna Beach, California, to London, where uh, Fergus Henderson, who cooks nose to tail, makes an incredible suckling pig. It's one of my top 10 meals of all time. Spectacular. And so you're bringing the pig concept to... Orange County, which is really fabulous. Bobby, tell us um, about the pig out. Cocktails, pigtails, pig out, you're calling it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we have collected uh, 15 of the best chefs in Orange County, um, you know, mostly friends of mine and Amar's uh, through my blog, 100 Eats, 100 Days. And, you know, we uh, decided we wanted to do something new and different uh, and raise money for the culinary and hospitality community in Orange County um, through Inspire Artistic Minds, which is a nonprofit that I started and uh, CCAP, which is actually the scholarship program that gave Amara Santana the uh, ability to go to uh, the CIA. Mm-hmm. So um, all of us are coming together to cook up some pig and raise some money. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we also uh, incorporated the Orange County Bartenders Association um, to help us uh, start up the first craft cocktail program of Orange County as well. Right, so craft cocktails and pig together, I might even just arrive early. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm not always early, chef. I think you know that. But for this, I I just might. Um, To mention again the charities, because... Oh, CCAP is such a wonderful charity to give the proceeds to. to It's been great supporters, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they've been visiting a lot recently to check out Amar's uh, Amar's Santana's new restaurant in Laguna, and so, uh, you know, we've got a chance to talk and... They're really great people, and they're doing a lot they of things are. to make change. I think they raised $37 million or something last year. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. Started by Richard Grousman, who has taken his program across the country and really dedicated himself and all the teachers that he's brought along in this program to providing uh, youth in our public schools an opportunity to obtain a culinary education, get a clear view of their mm-hmm. career. And uh, we know, Amar, that you are the shining star mm-hmm. of CCAP, and giving back is a beautiful thing. There wouldn't be a Broadway restaurant in Laguna if it wasn't for CCAP. Yes, isn't that true? Great talent has emerged from CCAP, such as yourself. Yes, it's very true. And then inspiring artistic minds, giving back to the food industry, um, Bobby's uh, challenge and plight as well to raise money for artistic, passionate individuals to attend um, seminars and certification programs in the culinary and hospitality arts. What a wonderful thing to be able to eat for. It's called pig out and it is brought to you by the blogger who created 100 eats 100 days and on that website 100 eats 100 days with the number 100 in both mm-hmm. places dot com you can find out more about this inaugural pig centric social mm. we're going to talk about some of the cocktails coming up next sunday yes we are and some of the newest hottest spirits with in fact the bar manager of broadway by amar santana mm-hmm. gabrielle she'll be joining us and you'll have another chance to uh, certainly have your senses Fed and encouraged to attend Pig Out. And some of our favorite chefs are going to be there. I Greg know. Daniels, Ryan Adams, yes. uh, Deborah Schneider, uh, Dee Enwin. Justin Miller, Yvonne oh, Guest. Just fabulous group. Everybody. Do you have any idea, Amar, of what the other chefs are making? Or do highlight your dish, please. I don't know. Are they making what I know what I'm doing? I'm making two dishes. Okay. 
I have to do Pork Belly. I mean, oh, I yes, do you like do. We'll be first belly. in line. <laughs> so I'm basically doing a crispy pork belly with a mm-hmm. barbecue sauce consomme and um, like a fennel slaw. So kind of like think of mm. barbecue. Mm. Uh, nice. Kind of like one quick bite, but a lot of flavor. And then um, I had this idea the other day, and I made, I made a, just trying it out, and I made a, a roasted pork French dip. You know, you kind of oh. took that idea of a French dip sandwich, but I made mm. it with pork. And then I did a, like a sweet and sour tart uh, jalapeno marmalade with it. And, I mean, I took a bite of this stuff, and I, it was dynamite. Oh, oh. We, we can't wait. Oh, I can only imagine that it's dynamite, but just just for the record, next Sunday, you're going to have to prove it. Hold a sandwich for us, all right? <laughs> yes. I will. We will yes. be at the pig out along with Chef Amar Santana and some of our comrades, the best in Orange County, California, Bobby Navarro, putting this incredible inaugural pig-centric social together. You're invited. Mm-hmm. Tickets are still available at 100eats100days.com. Yes. Or the event website is 100eats.com forward slash pig out. Love it. We'll see you there we can't wait bobby amar thanks for sharing your passion for pig and thank you for continuing to listen to what we believe is the most delicious conversation on the radio we're coming back with a whole nother hour so stay tuned Welcome to the second hour of Delicious Conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Thanks for tuning in and a very delicious morning to you. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio, discovering delicious recipes, restaurant finds, unique and authentic ingredients, teaching you the techniques of master chefs and sommeliers and sharing cooking ideas for novices and connoisseurs alike. We hope that you'll listen to these delicious discussions all about the latest trends in food and eating every Sunday morning when we join you beginning at 8 a.m. for two hours of delicious conversation. We're serving up seconds, and you can find podcasts of every show at chefjamie.com. You can also find us on iTunes, where you'll find our podcast delivered direct to your tablet or iPhone or iPad. Coming up this hour... We're dishing with Chef Alan Wong live from Hawaii. Wait till you hear what he does on a salt block. And Michael Jordan, master sommelier or the sommelier for the people from the ranch, restaurant, and saloon is joining us to share the virtues of rosé. But first, we caught up with Victor Novak, the brewmaster, artisan beer master of Taps and the Catch Brewery to talk about what he's drinking this summer. Take a listen. Beer lovers rejoice because Victor Novak, our resident beer expert, a dear friend and the brewmaster for Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea along with the Catch in Anaheim is joining us once again with his 60 awards, his being named champion brewer of the year and his silver medal from the World Beer Cup. Pretty impressive. Get your glasses ready because we are toasting summer with some brilliant beers. We are delighted to celebrate Victor's 13-year anniversary with Taps and this year marks the 20th year he's been brewing. So stick around. You just might learn something. We're glad to have you back. Good morning, Victor. Good morning. Always good to be here. You're making me sound old, though. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. We're making your beer sound experienced. Experienced, that's right. You have been brewing a long time, and we wondered what your first beer memory was. 
Oh, the the most distinctive, I think, sort of that epiphany moment, really, and, and I think I've said it before, so hopefully it's not cliched, but it's it's Sierra Nevada Pale. <clears throat> Excuse me, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I was at Berkeley. I just graduated, and I was dating a gal and living in North Berkeley, and, and she came over to my place, and I just moved into this place, and my roommate had some beer in the fridge, and she said, oh, your roommate drinks good beer, and I had no idea what she was talking about. I was drinking Michelob and wine coolers at that time. It was terrible. Mm, nice. Um, <laughs> and so we, we, of course, stole one and popped it open, and, and uh, it, it was amazing. I mean, and it's still the same. The great thing about Sierra Nevada, I was talking with someone today, actually, is, you know, they thought that because they've gotten so large that they're just, you know, a conglomerate and they're large corporation and they're you know and, and that things tend to get dumbed down a little bit as you grow because you know uh, economic forces kind of force you to maybe use a little um less malt and less hops Sierra Nevada stay true to who they are and their pale ale is as good today as it was back 20 years ago so that would definitely be one of my uh, favorite beer moments for sure I think that's a pretty great compliment coming from you because I know, and when I talk about you to our listeners and my foodie friends, you've traveled to Europe researching unique beer styles, crafting techniques in Britain and Belgium and Germany and the Czech Republic. And what I love about your beers is that they are small batch beers and that they are consistently beautiful and rich and full of not only the aromatics that I love from a gorgeous glass of wine, but on the palate, they're multidimensional. So if you were to distinguish your beer from the other breweries, what would you say about your style? I would say primarily, and it's, again, somewhat of a cliche marketing-wise, but balance. Especially here in California, what, what is getting really popular are those double IPAs. And uh, they're good. In fact, uh, my brewer Kyle just brewed one we call the Poseidon. This was his recipe, and just big. And what's funny about the double IPAs, they're actually lighter in body, but they're, they just pack a hop wallop. And, a uh, hop wallop. Yeah. Define... There's actually a beer called hop wallop, but I can't remember who makes it. <laughs> Wait, I like that. Define IPA for those that don't know, because it, it's not um, the first explanation you come to, really. No, IPA has been brewed since around the 1750s by the Brits, so India Pale Ale. Right. Some people think it is an Indian beer. But it isn't. No, it's an English beer meant for export to uh, when the Brits were colonizing India. And the double is slightly lesser in strength, as you said? It's actually, no, it's it's a little lighter in body, meaning it attenuates a little bit further, but you kick up the malt bill and then it attenuates further, and so the alcohol is actually increased from... Ours is about 7, and the double IPA is about 10. Mm-hmm. So the ABV is higher, but oddly enough, the, the uh, malt character, the body, is a little bit less because what they're trying to do by lightening the body a little bit, uh, in, in many ways using corn sugar to lighten that body, but again, increase the alcohol, is you're accentuating the hop character. So beer lovers are loving that double IPA for its increase or... It's depth of flavor, but also the increase in alcohol level. Yeah, and just the the amount of hop. It's sort of, uh, I guess if I'm correct, a cab in the 70s. Yes. Bigger was better and just, you know, people Mm. just, it could be a tannic bomb, but they loved it because they wanted their palate assaulted. I grew up in Southern California, but brewed on the East Coast and, again, having traveled around Europe, I really looked for a Hellas, a Dunkel, um, you know, a nice Pilsner, something that that I get some malt and some hop, but nothing really predominates. Now, I'm not poo-pooing double IPAs, and and believe me, it's probably the hottest style right now. It's just when I go out drinking, I usually will try a double IPA as a four-ounce sample rather than a pint. 
So I'll probably start with a Belgian white and maybe go on to a Pils or a Dunkel or something, uh, maybe a Scotch ale, but then mm. try a double IPA because it really is going to blow my palate out. So I really can't drink much after that. Plus, of course, we, we really do need to be conscious of, of alcohol consumption, of course, and DUIs. Yes. So you can't drink three or four double IPAs and get in a car and drive. It really is dangerous. Well, let me tell you where I would start if I was going out to drink with you. I would go to Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea. It's one of my favorite restaurants, and everybody knows it. And you're one of my favorite brewmasters. And you (laughs) brew, I mean, uh, thousands of kegs and tens of thousands of gallons of beer. I would start probably with a cream ale. I might go Irish red or Belgian triple. And I would definitely go Hefeweizen. So let's talk about your summer brews. What can we come to find at TAPS right now? And if you would talk about the particular uh, profile, the flavor profile of each of the beers. Sure. Cream Ale um, is on all the time. That is a style that I discovered in Philadelphia when I was brewing out at Dock Street back in the 90s. A little bit different than, say, a Kolsch or a Blonde, um, but light-bodied. Here we use a little bit of corn sugar. We use beautiful German Pilsner malt. Um, so it's relatively light-bodied, but it's actually 5.5%. So when you drink a pint of it, you have to be pretty careful because, you know, Bud Light and Coors Light are 4%. People mm-hmm. usually drink a 12-ounce beer. Here we're giving you a 16-ounce pint that's 5.5, so 25 30% more alcohol. So yeah, it's a little but... deceptive, but light, crisp, and fruity, and uh, just a little bit fruity. It's, it's really just a great beer with oysters. It's super food-friendly. I was just going to say, that is a seafood pairing made in heaven. And I am a cream ale fan because of that, because I don't think that the beer overpowers the shellfish, and I don't think that the shellfish overpowers your cream ale. And by the way, just so I can get it in, there is nothing wrong with blondes. No, no. <laughs> Gentlemen do prefer blonde. Thank you. Um, move on to your next bestseller for the summer. Um, probably Belgian White uh, or Hefeweizen. I mean, those wheat beers are just great for summertime uh, because they're lighter. They're a little spicy. Uh, you increase the carbonation maybe a little bit. And then Belgian White, it is light, and we actually add two different types of orange peel, Curacao orange peel, a little bitter, mm. and then the sweet orange peel, and then Indian coriander, which makes it a little bit orangey as well, and then American coriander, we get a little bit of a lemony character. So, again, four, 5% basically, and light, quaffable, and, again, seafood-friendly, and yes. just, a, just a, a nice, not even really chugging beer, but just a nice uh, beer out on a, on a hot day on the patio. If I were to highlight a couple of summer dishes, would you beer pair for us, please? Sure. Okay, good. Summer salad. Uh, maybe some grilled peaches off the barbecue. Might uh, very simply, in a no-cook fashion, have um, some crispy strips of prosciutto. I like to throw them right on the grill. They crisp up beautifully. Throw them into the salad. Fresh greens, light, acidic, lovely vinaigrette, and a bunch of fresh herbs to throw in that herbaceous quality. Yeah. The, the uh, beer I'm pairing? Belgian white right away yeah. is what I think. Okay, and in just a couple of words, beer for barbecue. I'm making sweet, sticky, glazed ribs tonight. Irish red. Irish red. Yeah, because the caramelized sugars from the grill, Mm -hmm. and then Irish Mm -hmm. red has the sort of caramel malts and and rich and smooth. And even if you put a little habanero glaze on there or something, the sweet malt from the the Irish red would, would temper that nicely. Oh, okay, you bring the beer, I'll make the ribs. Perfect. Okay, we're going to continue this beer conversation in the coming weeks with Victor Novak. But in the interim, if you would like to have your glass filled, let me tell you, these are some of the best micro-brewed beers you will find anywhere. Victor Novak is a rock star, and we like him just that way. <laughs> Our resident brewmaster at Taps Fish House 
and brewery along with the catch in Anaheim, both Orange County and the Inland Empire will get you a taste of Victor's award-winning beers. And we'll see you for Sunday brunch soon at Taps. We Can't love wait. it. Okay. As the delicious conversation continues, we hope you're satiated. But there's more after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. Welcome back. Aloha. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Chef Alan Wong is the chef and restaurateur of Alan Wong's Honolulu, the number one Zagat-rated restaurant in Hawaii, and the Pineapple Room by Alan Wong. His stunningly delicious cookbook, entitled The Blue Tomato, is sitting on my coffee table, and we are sharing the riches of his knowledge and passion this morning. He is a true culinary visionary, and we are delighted to have Chef Alan Wong join us for the first time here and in your radio. Good morning, Chef. Good morning. Aloha, Chef. Aloha. We're very glad to have you here. It was nice to see you recently at the Montage in Laguna Beach, cooking up a storm with a a long line of food lovers waiting to taste your Hawaiian-inspired cuisine. Yes, it was. Thank you. Yes, and you too. Thank you. We go way back. In fact, to 1999, I had the privilege to cook with you in Hawaii, I remember. I know, too, that you have always been the truest pioneer in the movement of Hawaiian regional cuisine. It's 21 years now, in fact, since you started uh, a a group of chefs that really have continued to pioneer your thoughts and premises. And we'd love to know what's happening with Hawaiian cuisine today. 21 years later, besides the fact that a lot of restaurants have opened here in Honolulu and across the state, and some have closed, normally uh, I would answer that question in an agricultural way. For example, what were we cooking with 21 years ago versus today? Mm. Today we have the most variety of ingredients that we cook from, and it was spawned from 21 years ago trying to help develop an agricultural network in the state of Hawaii. So we have the most amount of farmers ever in Hawaii, the most variety of products in Hawaii. The farmers' markets have taken off in all of Hawaii on every island. And besides having the amount of products and the variety, the, the home cook now has access to meet the farmers and to buy their product at the farmer's market to cook at home. So versus maybe 21 years ago, even 10 years ago, 5 years ago, uh, a lot of these products were grown in small quantities just for one restaurant, two restaurants, or a few hotels. And now it's really changed. So cooking at home has really changed here in Hawaii because of that. So that's one big one. Yeah, definitely. I I think it's quite amazing. You know, I think we take for granted a little bit or we forget how limited it used to be. And today, especially in Southern California, across the country, and as you mentioned in Hawaii, it's better than ever. We have farmer's markets in every zip code here, and we're very spoiled by the beautiful wealth of heirloom tomatoes, the colors and the flavors and the sizes to choose from, and the fresh beans and the summer corn. Um, But as you said, it's come a long way in Hawaii. And your book, your most recent cookbook, the Blue Tomato, Inspirations Behind the Cuisine of Alan Wong, really represents that. It's amazing to see most of your produce comes from a big island farm, right? Well, you know, I used to be at the Monolani in a big island. I uh, worked there and lived there for five and a half years, and I made a lot of relationships there, a lot of friends. Hmm. And I'm still buying a lot of products from the big island, yeah. And tell us, if we were to come and visit Honolulu and your restaurants, is there a farmer's market in the area we shouldn't miss? I would recommend the one uh, up uh, on the slopes of Diamond Head. Uh, It's right next to uh, 
culinary school, Kapiolani Community College. It happens every Saturday morning, starting at 7 in the morning. And they just started doing this on Tuesday night in the evening. But that's the most popular one. Okay, so we'll make a plan then, Lana, definitely. Uh, Let's get to the cookbook, Chef, because there's lots of wonderful summer inspiration. And the presentations are truly extraordinary. But to start at the beginning, you speak in the appetizer section of Blue Tomato about how cooking is as easy as one, two, three, that you've reduced it down to three very simple things. So Uh if you would, run down them so that we can become better cooks in a matter of minutes. I wanted to give creativity some structure. And so this is not only for the home cooks, but this is how I treat the, the new cooks here that start in the kitchen. Uh, imagine a young cook, a new cook that is in charge of making the staff meal today. They know I'm going to eat their meal. You know, they're nervous. They're so nervous. And uh, i got to calm them down by talking to them. And I say, listen, it's easy as one, two, three. Number one, I reduce cooking down to the simplest thing. And you season your food correctly. Mm. A lot of times that's just basically how much salt and pepper you use. Or just simply salt. Or uh, if you're putting sodium into your dish, because salt is just one form of sodium. Um, then second would be, uh, do you have a sense of balance? If you're trying to do something sweet and sour, is it too sweet? Is it too sour? Uh, you might be balancing uh, spice, hot and sweet at the same time. It's kind of a form of balance, too, but do you have a sense of texture? Is everything uh, taste like baby food in my mouth, or is there something happening? I want the food to be seasoned. I want the food to pop in my mouth. And the third thing is execution. That is simple. If you make me a stew or a pot roast or a braise, you know, I'm not going to bring a, a knife with me. I'm going to bring a fork, and I expect to be fork tender. You cook a fish for me, I expect to cook to the point. Same with the vegetables, you know. Uh, even a... Uh, fry something, I want it crispy, I don't want it greasy, I don't want it in. So it's simple execution. So when you combine the two, three, you know, you season your food well, you have a sense of balance and you execute what you want to cook, you got good tasting food. Well, I I tell the cook, don't worry about it. Just relax. Just think about the three things I just told you about. Mm -hmm. And so this translates to the home cook as well because it gives you a little bit of structure, you know, something to grasp onto. I love the idea when you said you're defining creativity, and that's really what it is. It's the expectation of the final result, but the opportunity to master the principles on the way there will guarantee you that final result. And I think it's a wonderful culinary lesson. With about a minute left with you here in our radios, inspire us to create a minute poke, please. I love how you created this dish for the diner to mix it at the table so that we can do it at home as well. Well, you want me to talk you through a poke or you want me to talk you through that minute poke? Minute poke. Minute poke, please. You have a minute, chef. Okay. <laughs> well, well, the whole idea is to eat fresh fish in its best form. And so what it is is cube fish. Poke literally could be translated as cube. You make a sauce. And you take your fish, you season it with a little salt, you add the sauce, you toss it, and that's why it's a minute poke. So it could be as easy as when you come, you'll have a few slices of sashimi or cubes, mm. and the sauce is somewhere on the plate or on the side. It's interactive cooking. I mean, dining. You pour the sauce in yourself, you toss it, you let it wait in a bit. In fact, by the time you toss it, it's about one minute anyway, then you eat it. So yeah, imagine nice. if you made ceviche the same way. It's, it's a one-minute ceviche. 
May we share so, your recipe, Chef? I would course, like. Yes. Thank you. I would like to post it online. You will find Chef Alan Wong's Minute Poke posted. We're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Chef, tell us congratulations. You've recently opened the Wailea in Maui, the Grand Wailea. It's called Alan Wong's at Amasia. Yes. Um, it's at the Grand Wailea Resort. It's uh, our first time venturing into a dining experience that involves uh, the majority of the, the selections are small plates or, or appetizers or tapas or something you'd find in a Japanese isakaya. In Hawaii, we call them pupus. <laughs> yes, and I happen to love the pupus, or the pupu platter per se, so we will very much look forward to making the venture to see you. He is the renowned master of Hawaii's regional cuisine, Chef Alan Wong. His most recent cookbook is an extraordinary exploratory venture for home cooks to elevate their flavor profiles and their senses and for professional chefs to gain knowledge and learn from Alan Wong's passion. This is a book you must add to your collection and you must plan to visit Chef Alan Wong's restaurants. He has numerous accolades, including being named one of America's top 50 restaurants by Gourmet Magazine. His restaurants continue to be top dining destinations year after year. And it was a pleasure to have you join us on the radio, Chef. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Aloha. Aloha. See you again soon. As the delicious conversation continues right after this, Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. A bottle of white, a bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show that celebrates food and wine every Sunday morning, beginning at 8 a.m., two hours of delicious conversation and fabulous food. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, and there is royalty in the house. Yes, he is present. Another Wine Spectator Award under his belt. MJ, you are too cool. After just three months of being king of the cowboys, who would have thought that Western dancing and fine dining would make such a fine pairing? We did. The Ranch, of course, restaurant and saloon in Anaheim, has been off to a running start. And the grandest food reviews in Southern California, specifically Orange County. But now they can add to the list a Wine Spectator Award. In the current edition, the August 31st edition of Wine Spectator magazine on newsstands now, You will find Michael Jordan, Vice President of Food and Beverage and Master Sommelier of the Ranch, having been granted and graced with a new title, and that is the winner of the Best of Award of Excellence for the Ranch, again, after just three months. Really, truly incredible. Good morning, MJ. Congratulations. Good morning, Chef Jamie and Lana. Thank you so very much. We are just thrilled about this. Oh, you have to be. That's really an extraordinary honor. And well-deserved. Yes. Yeah, congratulations. We're very excited for you. you. And as always, loving the ranch and had a very unique experience, which we're going to talk about in just a bit, a taste of the ranch that was like no other. But let's kick off and really celebrate summer. We want to talk about the beauty of rosé and that it is not just pink wine anymore. You're absolutely right. It is is pink, but it Mm. is sure a refreshing, delicious compliment to summer and the Southern California Riviera lifestyle that we get to enjoy here. It's very true. And there are really wonderful rosés from many different regions around the world, in fact. And they all have a slightly different profile. I love the Italian rosés. 
and the Spanish as well. But talk about, if you would, let's start with the still rosés and some of your favorite. Oh, I'd be happy to. You know, we uh, really like to pair uh, dry rosé wines with the freshness in the food of summertime. I mean, here in California, we can drink it all year long, but I have a couple that I really love. One is uh, from Côte de Provence, the Chateau d'Esclan. The name everybody will remember is Whispering Angel. It is a beautiful, light, dry rosé from the south of France in Provence, and it is very refreshing. Uh, it is made from a blend of grapes down there. But I found one just last week that I'm really excited about. It's called Chiaretto Pergola. It's Chiaretto, C-H-I-A-R-E-T-T-O, Chiaretto. Chiaretto. Yeah, from Garda, from mm. Lake Garda, which is this gorgeous lake in Lombardy in between Milan and Venice and it's a beautiful dry rosé and I think that really is the wine we're going to be serving with our heirloom tomato salad throughout the summer because it is Mm. just fabulous my goodness and there's another uh, couple of dry rosé wines as you were saying from Spain I really like Chocoli I love to say Chocoli Chocoli it's impossible to read and pronounce because it's got T X A K O L I. If you try to read it, there's no way, but it's pronounced Chocoli. It is from the north of Spain, near San Sebastian on the hills. You can see the ocean from where these grapes are grown. And again, a beautiful, uh, kind of frothy, dry rose wine. Mm-hmm. And all of these dry roses have that cherry and berry flavor, and they're so versatile with food. Yeah, they really are. They're extremely fruit-friendly. And when we say dry rosé, we mean dry as in not sweet. So traditionally made from a red grape varietal. The varietals most often used in making rosé are Pinot Noir, Syrah, Grenache, and sometimes Merlot, right? And there are beautiful rosés from France, from Provence, from Italy, from Spain. And there are some domestic that you like as well. Oh, there are. I like uh, Minor Family, Rosato di Sangiovese, and really one that I'm very excited about is made from Pinot Noir. It's from our good friend Gary Pizzoni and yes. his, his family. Pizzoni makes some of the most delicious Pinot Noir on the planet, but they have a second label called Lucy. It is a rosé of Pinot Noir. It also is real pretty and floral and strawberry and raspberry flavor. Now, we're talking about fruit flavors, but it's not sweet. It's not sugary. It's not like white Zinfandel that has a sugar component. But, you know, there's also a good place for white Zinfandel in the summertime, too, with hot and spicy food. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, Did you just say there are some people who just drop their radio? There is also a place for white Zinfandel coming from a master sommelier. I love that. We've come so far. Yeah, well, that's why they call me sommelier for the people, you know. Yes, that's very uh, true. We, we try to stamp out all the snob effect and, and really mm-hmm. actually give you something delicious that won't cost an arm and a leg, right. that really actually tastes good, works well with food. White Zinfandel, believe it or not, is really a good pairing for super hot and spicy food, uh, like red Indian, hot chili pepper. Yeah, Korean, Indian, Mexican. Indian, food. Mexican. Yeah. Uh, even, even barbecue mm. that has really super hot spices in it, mm-hmm. like that red hot Texas barbecue. Some yeah. little sweet wine with that is not too bad. I, I agree. You. And you know, Hatch chili season is coming. 
And New Mexico oh, hatch chilies are running very hot this year. And we have yep. live broadcasts coming up from Bristol Farms with Melissa's. Wow. We're going to be wow. roasting hatch chilies. And you know that the question's going to come up, MJ. And the sommelier for the people, who you are, is going to have to come back and join us and pair with chilies. And I wondered oh. if White Zinn and some of those sweeter profiled, even like the Rieslings and the Gewürztraminers, are going to fall under that high heat that's, level, that that's Scoville where we scale. Go. Yeah. Chef Jamie, you're absolutely right. That's where we're going to go. Oh, I'm excited. Another perfect pairing. The light, crisp, beautiful dry rosés are some of Lana's and my favorite, and we've been drinking them because it's running a very hot summer. But there are sparkling varieties as well made in a traditional method, and that to me is just the ultimate celebratory wine. Oh, yeah, and I think, you know, going forward uh, on on future shows, I I would love to uh, discuss with you and, and, and share with all of our listeners uh, the wines from Franciacorta, which are from Lombardia in northern Italy. We don't really, I know we don't have time to go into all of that today, but that's really an upcoming area that's going to be worth talking about for great value sparkling wines that are extremely high in quality. And they have, uh, I just tasted yesterday a beautiful, uh, Brut Rosé from, from Franciacorta. Oh my gosh, it was delicious. Say the name again, Michael. From where? Uh, well, it, it was it, it was from Lombardy, from Francia from Corta. From Lombardy, the, okay. The place is Francia Corta. That's Francia the, the Corta. area, uh, and so that's what you would call the wine. You call it Francia Corta, mm. and I know that's a bit of a stretch for you know, like it's Francia Corta. But once you once you've tasted it, mm. uh, and the value and the pricing mm-hmm. it is incredibly delicious. One that I had was La Montina, M O N T I N A. La Montina. And I gotta tell you, La Montina Francia Corta mm. Rose Rose was really delicious. And price wow. wise, where do we stand? Well, I think you're gonna be somewhere in the area of like less than twenty bucks. <laughs> Pretty fabulous. All right, so you heard it here. Buy yourself a bottle. We call this homework on food and wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. La Monti- Montina Montina M O S E. I-N-A. Right. Oh, man. And more to and, come. Uh, more to come because yeah. we're going to find and discover new wine regions right here. You mentioned before we take a quick break, uh, you know, less expensive, delicious, and easy. And we have been reading so much about box wine, Michael, that we just had to ask your opinion. <laughs> They've become very popular recently once again in the past few years. They hold more wine than a single bottle. They're light and recyclable. They're easy to open. They chill quickly. They don't break if you drop them. Are you a fan, too? You're really killing me here. You know, we're going to talk about uh, white Zinfandel and wine and in a box. box wine. That's right. But no shame. I got to tell yes. you, because, you know, we got to say the truth. And sometimes the truth isn't that popular until it's popular. And, and I will say that a lot of really good, high-quality winemakers are putting their good quality wines in things other than one small bottle with a cork. Because we're trying to leave a greener footprint, less weight, less shipping cost. We're bottling wine in Tetra packs, in -in bag-in-a-box type of containers, in canisters and kegs for restaurants instead of just shipping bottles with corks. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of a fan of that. I I think it's okay for wine you're going to drink right away very quickly. And everyday quaffing wine, just your everyday drinking wines, I don't see a problem with it. I, in fact, I'm, I enjoy it, actually. And, wow. and the price, the price is so much less yes. for the consumer 
or you can pay another add-on, another two bucks for the cork and five bucks for the bottle if you want to. But, no, but that's what uh, I was going to say. Next time we have a party and a big crowd, you'll come over, I hope. And I recently tasted uh, from um, a Van de Pay Doc, a French Pinot Noir from Limoux in a box, 2006. Lots of leathery earth, beautiful berry fruit in the nose and on the palate. It was easy drinking. It was beautifully refreshing with its balance of acidity. And it was 10 bucks for the box. And I have to tell you, I really enjoyed it. If it tastes good, then it's in the glass, then kind of that's where you have to start. You should drink Uh, it. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And I found a black box wine of Cab. Oh, yes, you did. That from Paso Robles, 2006, that I thought was luscious. It's not that we're you just know, on Lana, a journey of books, just so you know. That wine won some gold medals at the <laughs> L.A. International Wine Competition. Okay, see, which, she can pick them. <laughs> That's impressive. You know, nothing wrong with that wine. <laughs> not at all. Say it again. Black's bo- black box, right? Black box, yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. Paso yeah. Robles. Had it with a really nice top sirloin steak. It was wonderful. Yeah, not so bad. Mm. Okay, the conversation, it's only getting more thirst quenching. We're going to elevate ourselves from box wine, although it's good, and we're happy to drink it, to the local harvest. If you aren't already compelled to dine at the ranch more than once a week, which we are, wait till you hear about the farm and this unique and extraordinary special occasion. We'll be right back. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana and the sommelier for the people. He is vice president of food and beverage for the ranch, restaurant, and saloon in Anaheim. There's more after this. Onophiles, stay tuned. This is a place for people who love to eat and have a passion for food and wine. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, sommelier for the people of the ranch restaurant and saloon. He is Michael Jordan. He is our resident wine guru. For Steve, who wrote in, those rosés, by the way, Steve, are beautiful with a carpaccio, with a seared ahi, with any shellfish that you're eating, whether it be raw or even off the grill this summer. Please let us know how your dishes turn out. Michael, we recently had the privilege of dining with you at the farm-to-table luncheon for the ranch that was held at the farm, uh, which is um, next to Andrew's estate. And it's the orange groves and the tomato plants, the 400-plus varieties that you're growing, that definitely awed us. But it was the meal from Michael Rossi, who is a rock star chef, that was extraordinarily impressive. And the wine pairing's fabulous. And I would like to publicly thank you for what was one of the most unique culinary opportunities of my life. Wow, that's so sweet of you. Thank you. Well, you are absolutely welcome. And what a great time we had. And you're right, Chef Rossi outdid himself. The food was amazing, but it was really special. It was really fun. I think that was our first annual. I think we're going to have to repeat that yeah. luncheon next year okay i'll start uh, fasting now wow yeah yeah and everything that we did prepare uh certainly all of the vegetables and fruit were grown on that farm uh were harvested that morning and that was really the beauty of it because we were eating and enjoying and sharing all that beautiful mm-hmm. food all the dishes that were prepared that were just picked that morning and what a fun time we had thank you so much for coming to that well thank you that is one of the things that really sets the ranch apart from the rest and that is the dedication to eating local and i understand that chef michael goes to the farm like a few times a week 
I hear. And he picks out the produce that he loves. And there was this big oak grill that Lana and I were standing near. And they were grilling peaches that came out with this beautiful um, burrata, right? And a a drizzle of lemon verbena honey and some wild arugula Mm -hmm. and some salty prosciutto. And it was like heaven on porcelain. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, with that San Daniele... Uh, prosciutto, yes. you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, 20, oh my gosh, it what was a amazing. Combo. Oh, yeah, with it, and then it went course to course to course, and, you know, with the soup from the cucumbers and then the hot smoked salmon in, in that dish. Oh, Schooner Bay. Uh, we love that he loves Schooner Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was such a fun and delicious mm-hmm. festive event that we can't wait now mm-hmm. to go again. But we were out there this morning. We picked about I would say about 150 pounds of tomatoes and produce. We uh, are going out now three days to four days a week and picking because as it's getting warmer, the things are ripening quickly and there's still just tons, and I mean literally thousands of pounds of great tomatoes and produce on the vine out there just waiting. So the farm that supports the ranch, restaurant, and saloon here in Anaheim will be thriving all through the rest of the summer. And... uh, We've started with a very special heirloom tomato salad on the menu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's going to be from tomatoes we picked fresh out of the farm and organically grown with love. So we, we can't wait to have you come on down and, and have a either beautiful fresh Sauvignon Blanc or a dry rosé with that. Yeah, by the way, for those of you listening, he's talking to you, not me, because he knows that I'm going to be there. But for you to taste this heirloom salad, a little bit of inspiration for those that have tomatoes in their garden, Lana. That salad was one of the most freshly flavorful, beautiful tastes I can imagine. So delicious. And the tomatoes, very simply, just haphazardly cut into large Mm. chunks or slices. Red, yellow, green. Zebra. And if there was ever a definition of a culinary hero, you are it. I mean, that is the ultimate. It is. It's the ultimate. It's right in the middle of the menu. I mean, that's why we do it. You know, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work. We plant everything buy seed. These are all heirloom vegetables. Seeds are handed down. Digging those holes and planting all this stuff, it's work, but it's so worth it because you get this rainbow-colored basket of fruit, and it's just art on a plate, and everything is so sweet and delicious. And more than anything, the texture of those freshly grown heirloom tomatoes is so different than anything you can find in a store. The texture of these tomatoes is so smooth and very soft and silky rather than any kind of grainy or granular or it's just amazing. I, that's mm-hmm. why I do it. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. there's a big payoff right there. I was going to say there's a reason. Now, for the gardeners out there and the many emails that we received since the last time you were on, tomatoes are often the topic. Everyone knows that you love to grow in addition to drink. And so if you would leave us with a final thought, and that is for the gardeners that want to know what your best tomato is right now, what you're growing and what you're drinking with it. Uh, give us some insight. Wow. What's your secret? Okay. <laughs> well, there's like I have six, 60 to 70 kinds of heirlooms, so they're all kind of like my children. The most exotic and crazy one is a black tomato that I oh, was trying to source seeds fabulous. for for about 10 years, mm-hmm. but the name is going to remain secret. You have to come to the ranch to mm-hmm. find it. It is absolutely the darkest purple black Beautiful. tomato you've ever seen. I just posted a we... picture on Facebook, MJ. It's, it's yeah. like looking right at, now. A, at a jewel. Yes, and if you go oh. to Sh- Chef Jamie Gwen on Facebook, you will find directions to the ranch mm-hmm. and a picture yeah. of 
Michael's prize-winning tomato. You should call it black, black diamond. Now, Ooh, now if you that. come to the ranch, if you come here and you ask me, I'll tell you the name, but I'm not putting it out there for <laughs> the oh, entire world. Oh, now you're just we baiting us. A little, a little intrigue. You yeah, gotta come okay. But I will say some of... Some of the other names we've got uh, that I love, one's called Vintage Wine, and it's fabulous. Mm. We're growing some Japanese black trifle. It's be- become Great a real name. favorite of mine. And what are we drinking and with it? Pour us one you, glass as we scoot on up to the bar at me, the ranch. Give me Tiare Sauvignon Blanc. It's Sauvignon from Colio in Friuli, northern Italy. Oh. It's a perfect pairing. Yes. It's one of the most delicious Sauvignon Blancs I've tasted in years. We are now just going to start pouring that by the glass at the ranch, and that with Love the it. tomato salad, you're going to be in heaven. Now, and that's a great last bite, by the way. If you're perusing a wine list this summer and you just don't know what to order, look for Friuli in Italy. You will find beautifully made and produced white wines in often limited quantities that are at reasonable values. It's an absolute shoe-in and a really gorgeous pairing to tomatoes. You heard it from the sommelier for the people. He will meet you at the ranch, restaurant, and saloon on East Ball Road in Anaheim. Who goes there? Culinary enthusiasts, wine lovers, and cowboys. What else could you want? <laughs> MJ, <I love> it. <laughs> we love having you on the radio, and we look forward to sharing your passion. We'll see you at the restaurant soon. Ladies, thank you so thank much. We'll be off for dinner. We love to see Michael Jordan for dinner at the ranch, and we hope you do too. That was really fabulous box wine conversation, bringing a whole new elevation, mm-hmm. don't you think? Yes. I thought so, too. If you are an avid cook, and if you certainly have a passion, we know you do because you're here, we are celebrating Julia. In celebration and honor of Julia Child's 100th birthday coming up on August 15th, we wanted to welcome you to share in our tribute. We will be making a toast to Julia at our upcoming live broadcast on August 19th. Sunday from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach and in advance of the broadcast we invite you to bring a photo or a memento of Julia to the broadcast if you have photos or a dish inspired by Julia or a career inspired by Julia you can always post and comment on my Facebook page at Chef Jamie Gwen or email your story to live at chefjamie.com but be sure to join us for that live broadcast and our chili contest competition you'll find out more at Chef Jamie Jamie.com. Hatch chili season is quickly approaching. Check out bristolfarms.com for the Melissa's Hatch chili roasting schedule. And please join us next Sunday when the delicious conversation continues. We're cooking Mexican in your slow cooker. And Phil Lempert, the supermarket guru, is giving tips and tricks to shopping smarter and living better. There are delicious recipes at chefjamie.com, and we're serving up seconds, so we'll meet you there. Thanks for listening and for sharing your passion for food. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. Along with Lana, we hope you continue to eat well.